Good morning, everyone. Uh, morning. morning. Hi, Danny. Hi. <laughs> How was y'all's weekend? I was hoping it was good. It was good. Uh, I had to work. So. <laughs> but you're here now. I got to find it. Uh, Pastor Dan gave me something to read. Um, Luke 13, uh, 19. It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, which means even with a little bit of faith, you can still go a long way. Amen. Deacon Tony, lead us in prayer. Good Lord, thank you for another day you've given us. Thank you for this place. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
back there on that PowerPoint and change that capital H on him to a little h. Okay. It's coming. All right. The title of the sermon is why kill him? Now I know titles are normally all capitalized, 
but that one's not capitalized for a very specific reason. Anyone want to take a, want to take a stab at why that might be? Just take a wild guess. Go ahead. Okay, it's not as important as a capital H. So whenever I write he or him in reference to a certain being, I always capitalize it, and that would be God. And so if you normally, if you saw that title and it said, why kill him, who, are, who would you be expecting it to be? Jesus, right? Except we're not talking about Jesus. All right? So that little H is there to remind you that what we're going to read about is not Jesus. Anyone want to take a stab at who we might be talking about? Nope. That's good, though. That would be a good story. And, you know, that's really neat, too, because John the Baptist said uh, that I must decrease and he must increase. And so it does tie in with what we're going to talk about, but not John the Baptist. Anyone else take a stab at it? Yeah, it is the old self, but that not that that's not him in this title. Okay, you know why you're not getting it? Because we don't think about it. I didn't think about it until the Lord brought this to mind. And so when you see it, you're going to be a little surprised. It's Lazarus. Was it really? Well, you're too slow. Too slow! All right, so grab your Bibles, if you would, and go with me to John chapter 12. Amen. Amen. This is God's Word. All right, we're going to read 9 to 11, and then we're going to read 17 to 26. Now, we're not skipping 12 to 16 because they don't matter, of course. We're skipping them because 9 to 11 and 17 to 26 point very pointedly at what we're talking about. Okay, so it's John chapter 12, verse 9. I just realized I forgot to push the button. Sorry, Tommy. Okay, the great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So, not only were they plotting to kill Jesus, they were also plotting to kill Lazarus. And it tells us the reason why. Because many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus after having seen that Lazarus was there alive. They were coming to see Jesus speak, of course, to hear what he had to say, see was he really the Messiah or whatever. But on top of that, they were also coming to see the risen from the dead Lazarus. That's a pretty big deal, right? And then we'll skip down to 17. Verse 17 says this, And so the multitude who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, were bearing him, that second him is Jesus, witness. And it has a capital H, by the way. So the first H is Lazarus. The first says, And so the multitude who were with him, that's Jesus, when he, that's Jesus, called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him, that's little h, Lazarus, from the dead, were bearing him, that's Jesus, witness. For this cause also the multitude went and met him, that's Jesus, because they heard that he had performed this sign. What sign? The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Right? The Pharisees therefore said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. So they started talking to each other, saying, all that preaching you're doing, all that teaching of the Old Testament, all that standing up, trying to uh, be in contr 
con controversy, there's the word I'm looking for, with Jesus, trying to be in controversy with Jesus, all that you're doing, you're not doing any good. Look, the world is going after him. Verse 20, now there were certain Greeks, now these folks are from far away, okay? Their ancestry is from far away, and some of them had traveled there for the festival and so on, so they were literally from far away. There were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him. So Philip was a follower of Jesus, and he's involved in the whole, wow, this is amazing stuff. Bethsaida of Galilee, he's there, and began to ask Philip, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, we've talked about glorified, that word, a few times. Okay? Does anybody remember my, if you will, easy way of remembering what glorified means? Kind of, yeah. I lift it up or shine a light on, right? The real, the, the real Greek word means to shine a light on something. To glorify it is to lift it up or make it so people can see it or to shine a light on it so people can see it, right? And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the reason you're thinking there that it means lifted up is because he's talking about being crucified, but not only being crucified, right? There's more to it than that. It says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So you could say it this way. Now is the time for God to point the light, to shine the light, to lift up his Son, to show everybody everything about Jesus. 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay. So in other words, if you take a grain of wheat and you put it in a jar, come back a month later, you're going to have a grain of wheat in a jar. Come back a year later, you're going to have a grain of wheat in a jar. But if you put that grain of wheat in the, in the dirt, in good soil, the grain will burst open and cease to exist. But a plant will grow, which will then produce seed. Not one seed, but a bunch of seeds. And then when the wind blows, probably in the fall, that seed will fall. And then it will take root, and every one of those seeds will die, and a whole cluster of wheat will grow up. And call it wild wheat, and you can live off of it, and it's quite filling, and so on. But the bottom line is, unless that seed falls into the earth and is destroyed, ceases to exist, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 25. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. Now, he's not really talking literally about love and hate, right? This is, you understand, this is figurative language, all right? But it means if you're really attached to, really desire, or really after the things of your life, if you're about what's going on now, then you will eventually lose all of that. So if you're about your family, you love your kids, you love your wife, and there's nothing wrong with loving them, right? But your eternal existence is determined by if you can put things in proper priority. Does your family come after God? Okay? So be careful. Good things of this life that we get attached to, he's saying, can cause us to actually lose everything. And he who hates his life, in other words, he who prioritizes his life after the things that God would put first, so that's, and when it says your life, it's talking about literally anything in this lifetime that you might get attached to. And it does say, in this world, shall keep it to eternal life, or to life eternal. So in other words, if you can put your money 
in proper perspective, and Jesus is always first, if you can put your time, if you can put your relationships, your health, your job, your hobbies, if you can put all of that in proper perspective and put Jesus first in everything, so if Jesus is first in your money, if Jesus is first in your time, Jesus is first in your hobbies, Jesus is first in your relationships, then you can keep your relationships, you can actually redeem them, if you will, make them into something good that lasts all the way through this life into eternity. It'll take you right to the gates of heaven. And you don't have to go, oh, I'm ashamed I ever had that. Or I, I wish I had never done that. Right? You don't have to regret how you used what God blessed you with if Jesus can be first in those things. But so many people get so wrapped up in what's going on in this life. I mean, isn't, is it easy to not get wrapped up in what's going on in this life? we got phobias. We got health concerns. We got bills coming in. All these problems. So many people get so wrapped up in what's going on in this life and grip it so tightly, Jesus says, if you do that, you will lose it. Just a little further, 26. If anyone serves me, as I say, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. And so there's a little bit of figurative language here. When he says follow him, he doesn't literally mean always follow him, right? Because they couldn't even follow him to the cross. You get that? But follow him like do what he does. Follow him. Listen. Right? Let him be the leader. Let him be the one in charge. Right? Follow him. Follow his example. See what he does and do what he does. He says, and where I am, there my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So again, if you want God to honor you, then what do you do? You serve Jesus. How do you serve Jesus? You follow Jesus and do the things that Jesus would have you to do. Okay, so that's our primary text for the day. We're going to have a few supporting texts in a moment. First of all, I want to con contrast for a second, if I can, Jesus and Lazarus. Okay, so we could have been talking about Jesus when we say, why kill him? I can't, I can't find any really good reason to kill Jesus. I know why they did it. They did it because he was accused of sedition or rebellion, overthrowing the Roman governor empire, right? That's one of the main reasons. And also because of blasphemy, because he claimed to be God. The Jewish people wanted him killed because he claimed to be God, and that is a sin punishable by stoning. Not crucifixion, but stoning. So, but the Romans would crucify people who did certain things, pirates, uh, rebels, Right? Certain things that they would crucify them as a way of saying, you don't ever want to do that. Right? Not just you're dead. People are like, well, you know, I live really well and I die because I'm a pirate. That wouldn't be so terrible. Quick death. But crucifixion, now I don't want to die crucified, so I'm going to avoid being a pirate. So that was the whole idea. It's a step-up crime. It's worse. Right? And so he was probably, the main reason Pilate crucified him was he was a rebel or he was in sedition. This is also supported by the fact that he got a sign over his head while he was hung there saying, here be the king of the Jews, right? And so it was probably for rebellion or sedition. So I could kind of see that, but the truth is, at this point in time, until they really put him up on trial and he starts saying things like he's God, that's where he blasphemes and says, they start thinking, well, he claims to be God, so we should have him killed, right? They could have stoned him, theoretically. Oh, they really weren't supposed to be doing that, but the Roman government kind of looked the other way for blaspheme, right? So they would look the other way and let, they were actually stoning people, um, but they really weren't supposed to be legally doing, even stoning people, but they were doing it, uh, but they couldn't crucify anybody, but the Romans could crucify, 
and they could crucify for rebellion or sedition. So it wasn't until he got up there and they said, well, they're calling you the king of the Jews. And he said, yeah, it is as you say, you know, it's true, basically, is what Jesus says. And that's when, right? And so it wasn't really until the, the mock trials, the fake trials are going and stuff that Jesus really crosses the line. So at this point, there really isn't a good reason, a good legal reason to be putting Jesus to death. Moreover, there were others who had come and claimed to be the Messiah. Not a big number. People always make this out to be like dozens, but there wasn't. There was a couple, right? There's a guy named uh, Simon Bar Kaholba or something like that, and he claimed to be the Messiah. And, and there was a guy that would come later, like AD 135, long after Jesus comes, and he claimed to be the Messiah, and he leads the Jews in a revolt to try to cast off the Romans. So there's a couple of them. But there's never a time when those guys who were claiming to be the Messiah, they're talking about putting them to death. So that doesn't really even make any sense. But then extend it one step further. Let's talk about Lazarus versus Jesus. Did Lazarus do miracles? Not that we know of. Did he preach publicly at the, you know, the big amphitheater out there by the Dead Sea and thousands came and gathered and were listening to him and they're all getting baptized because of that? No, he didn't do that. Did he claim to be the king of the Jews? No, he didn't do that. Did he call himself God? No, he didn't do that. So all of the reasons why one might stretch and come up with, I can kill Jesus for this, Lazarus doesn't have any of it. He doesn't, he's not in sedition, he's not in rebellion, anything. So there's only really one thing that Jesus was doing that was causing a problem amongst the Jews that Lazarus was also doing. Just one thing. And that is they were bringing about new faith. Men were putting their faith again in God. They were repenting of old ways and turning to the God of the universe and saying, I will live for God. That's really the only thing you can think of that Lazarus was doing that Jesus was also doing. But other men, as I had said, other messiahs, other leaders of the Jews had done this, and they never talked about killing them. And Lazarus didn't even do all the other things that made Jesus different to, to bring him to the place where they might kill him, and now they're talking about killing him. A large crowd of Jews were coming not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised. So what was Lazarus's crime? Was he in sedition? Was he out there telling everybody that Jesus is the king of the Jews and they should overthrow the Roman Empire? No, that was never the message of Christianity. Christianity was never even about overthrowing the Roman Empire. The Jews just made it out to look like that so that they could have a reason to appeal to Pilate to crucify him. That really was never what they were about. So was Lazarus teaching overthrow the Roman Empire? No. Was he a zealot? Did he carry a dagger on his waist? No, actually, that's Peter. Right? So that wasn't going on. What did he do that they wanted to kill him? He died. He died and was risen again by Jesus. That's what he did. Jesus died and was raised. He was dead and now is alive. People were seeing Jesus for the first time with fresh eyes because of what had happened to Lazarus. Listen to the language. They were seeing Jesus with fresh eyes for the first time because of what had happened to Lazarus. Not because of what Lazarus did, because he didn't raise himself from the dead. He didn't preach the gospel, at least not recorded in here. Yes, he was faithful to Jesus, a follower after being... Who wouldn't be, right? Yes, he was there to be seen. What God had done in his life was clearly being seen. He was dead and now is alive. And people were seeking Jesus because of Lazarus, but not because of what Lazarus had done, but what had been done to Lazarus. Lazarus' life had become a living testimony 
look briefly at a passage of Scripture. I think it's one of uh, RJ's favorite, as a matter of fact. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says as follows. I'm going to be re begin reading in verse 15. And it's talking to, mostly really talking about us, but it's written to the book of Corinth, and we're very much like Corinth, or the church of Corinth in our day. I'll start in 14, so it's sort of, sort of the beginning of a sentence, although this whole thing strings together. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So let's get this straight. So Lazarus is on the verge of being put to death. The Jews have said, let's put him to death. And one of the two things that he did that were causing them to want to put him to death was he died. And now we have Paul saying that if Jesus died for you, then you died. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So we died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so in other words, he's saying, y'all died and now are alive again. Therefore, you should live for the one who died so that you didn't physically have to die for your own sins and you should live for him. Now, that's essentially the exact same equation that Lazarus was living through. 16 says this, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, we don't see things the way we used to see things because we died and rose again. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old thing passed away. Behold, new things have come. Lazarus died, came back to life, and the old things had passed away. He wasn't seeing things the way he used to see them when he was laying on his deathbed going, oh, woe is me. He was seeing things now the way he was seeing them after he was walking around having been brought back to life. It says in 18, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, but not counting their trespasses against them. And he was committed to us the word of reconciliation. A little further. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You think that might have been the message of Lazarus? I died. I'm alive. Won't you believe this guy? How could you not? I died. I'm alive. Believe him. I'm, I died. I'm alive. Believe him. You see? 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. People were seeking Jesus because of what they saw in Lazarus. Not because of what Lazarus had done, but what had become of Lazarus's life. It had become a living testimony. His existence had become a lure. In 15 to 17 of chapter 2, flip back a few pages, the 2 Corinthians, you can kind of see this same equation. So we're in 2 Corinthians, same book, back to chapter 2, 15 to 17. And it says this, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To, to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we, are, for we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. In other words, 
If you're living your life for Jesus, you're going to run into people who are going to go, yeah, I kind of like that. And you're going to run into other people who are going to go, I don't like that. And that's what was going on with Lazarus. Having been dead, a stench of death in the tomb, risen again by Jesus, now he's there. And his death and burial and resurrection, Lazarus' death, burial, and resurrection, was a testimony to everyone that he was running into. Everyone that he was running into that they needed to make a decision about this Jesus. So should ours be, not to get ahead of us. Jesus' existence, that's a testimony in and of itself that we need to make a decision about his being Lord, about his being Savior. But Lazarus' existence had become the same thing, a lure for people to listen and go, wait, there is something here. And your life, my life, should do the same thing. Others were telling Lazarus' story far and wide. So that by the time the Greeks got to the festival, come from home several days, whatever, or take a ship for a week or two to get to the festival, they were already there going, I want to see this Jesus and this Lazarus that he raised from the dead. Because if he raised Lazarus from the dead, he can raise anybody from the dead. I want to see that. And it ought to be like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, then people ought to encounter you and go, Wow, this is a man changed. This is a woman changed. They don't do what they used to do, right? And you go, well, they didn't know me. They don't have to, because you can tell them what you were like, and others can tell them what you were like. You can tell them what life was like, and others can tell them what your life was like, what you used to do, the way you used to be. But if you've come into contact with the risen Savior, then you've been transformed, made new. But here's what I see in a lot of Christians. There's no story to tell. Yeah, I believed in Jesus and I got baptized and I go to church, but there's no real difference between the old me and the new me. That's not the Jesus I know. If there's no transformation, if there's no change, if there's no difference in between who you used to be and who you are now, then who did you meet? Because it's not Jesus. Because Jesus has resurrection power. He transforms the lives of everyone that he encounters, either with the stench of death and you go, well, I don't want Jesus, and you run the other way and do all kinds of things that you should never do, or with the aroma of life and you run with Jesus, with Jesus in you and with Jesus all the way to the end, doing amazing things that you never thought you could do. Now, does this mean that you're suddenly going to be Superman Right? And have only one weakness ever? No, you have lots of weaknesses. You're still a human. You have lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, and you always will, as long as you're here until you enter the gates of heaven. But your life, like Lazarus's life, has become Jesus' story. His story was Jesus' story. But be careful, because when your story has other aspects to it, I watched a movie this uh, week, pretty pretty awesome movie called Overcomers, made by the Kendrick Brothers, the same people who made uh, Fireproof and Prayer Room and like that. And it's about a teenage girl who, uh, is, she's an asthmatic, as a matter of fact, and she's a cross-country cross runner. And she's the only member of the cross-country team where she's at. And there's a man there, and he's the basketball coach, and suddenly he has no basketball team because the steel plant closed down, there's nobody there. And so he becomes a cross-country coach. But the truth is, he becomes a cross-country coach only reluctantly. 
He's only half in. You know what I mean? He doesn't really know how to be a cross-country coach. That wasn't his thing. He was a basketball coach, right? And uh, his son at one point in time says to him, you know, Dad, he said, you make us run as punishment. Why would anybody on the basketball team ever want to come out and run cross-country when running is just punishment for basketball players? And so he's only really like half in. There are aspects of him still a basketball coach, not really a cross-country coach. But there's a moment in time when... He's already a professing Christian. There's a moment of time when he realizes he's not really running for Jesus. He's not really full in, full, full on, full press for Jesus. Right? That's a basketball team. It means getting after the ball from the moment they bring it in bounds. Right? So he wasn't really full press for Jesus. And so he starts to, to coach his one runner, his cross-country team, as if he truly is doing what he's supposed to do. He's doing it as if he's doing it for the Lord rather than doing it like a side job. Right? As long as there are other aspects in your life that are not about following Jesus, you're always going to look like confusion and hypocrisy to the world. They're going to come to you because they've heard the story. I was just, we're going to talk about it a little bit in the team leader meeting. So I was printing off some maps in my office before church today in preparation for the team leader meeting. And these maps show where the podcast of New Heights Fellowship is being listened to all over the world. Right? Danny and I were editing podcasts on Wednesday for the Life Station, and, and we pulled up the map of where the Life Station podcast is being listened to all over the world. The encouragement calls that go out to 1,500 households all over Toledo, and, and a few some people moved to Indiana and stuff, so they're, they're reaching out pretty far too. But then we turned that into a podcast. 17 countries all over the world, people are listening to this podcast. And so literally, somebody could walk up to you on the street while you're wearing your New Heights t-shirt. Please do that, by the way. While you're wearing your New Heights t-shirt, if you don't have one, get one. Right? And they might go, hey, I know New Heights Fellowship. I listened to their podcast while I was in Indonesia. And they might do that right after you're busy doing whatever you're doing that's got nothing to do with Jesus. As long as there are aspects of your life that don't have anything to do with Jesus, somebody who's heard the story and comes from afar and comes and sits in our chairs next Sunday might be expected to find people who are on fire for Jesus. And what they find is people playing video games on their cell phone or, or whatever else, anything else, but being totally focused on Jesus. And that's a problem. I'm going to tell you the story of, uh, about a family that chartered a plane to go on vacation. It's a six-seater plane, six people in their family. Um, and uh, while they're flying along, the pilot, the co-pilot are up there in the cockpit. Everything's going fine. And they come back, and there's a little extra seating room in the, in the back area there because they have uh, four small children, and a husband and wife four small children. So the children are kind of crammed into an area and playing on the floor and stuff. There's extra seat. At, at a certain moment in time, the co-pilot gets up from the cockpit. And on the way back to the seating area where the family is riding, they think, to the vacation of their lives, right? He stops and he puts on his parachute, and he comes back in the seating area, and he sits next to the exit door. The co-pilot is sitting next to the exit door with his parachute on. And the mom says, hey, what's uh, going on? What's with the parachute? What's going on? Uh, you know, is everything okay? And he's like, oh, yeah, the pilot's got it. Everything's fine. I just thought I would sit here next to the door with my parachute on just in case. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's going to happen. 
He's good. I, I mean, he's flown planes his whole life. He's the, he's the best pilot I've ever known. But I'm just wearing this parachute sitting here next to the door just in case. And you can imagine what is the very next thing out of the dad's mouth. He says, are there parachutes for us too? As long as there are aspects of things that you're trusting, following, working with in your life that have nothing to do with Jesus, it's like you have a way out. I'm good. I'm following Jesus, but I want to make sure that I'm the one that's in control of my relationship. I want to make sure that I've got enough money in the bank in case things go a little awry. Oh, yeah, I trust Jesus with everything, but I still got to make sure that I have enough money. I still got to make sure that he or she does what I want them to do. I still got to behave in a way that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and keep my parachute on and sit next to the door and do things my way instead of Jesus' way. Yeah, he's got it. It's going to be fine. The plane's going where it's going. We're going to get there. I'm going to sail right through the pearly gates when the time comes. But I've got to keep my parachute on and sit next to the door. As long as there are aspects of your life that have nothing to do with Jesus, when Jesus' potential people come to hear your story and what Jesus has done in your life, all they're going to see is your parachute. That's it. They want to be saved. They want to know about Jesus. They want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They want to see a miracle worker and an overcomer. But all they see is a man or a woman with a parachute. And do you really trust the pilot if you're sitting next to the door with a parachute on? When you do a thing that is not inextricably linked to Jesus, in other words, everything you do should be so tied to Jesus that he would not be ashamed if he himself were putting his hand to it. And you do things that are easily separated from who Jesus is, then Jesus in you, Jesus in your life, and what Jesus has done loses undeniability. See, when they came, they saw Jesus and Lazarus, and Lazarus was there. <coughs> Lazarus didn't bring his old life with him. He just said, I'm here, I was dead, now I'm alive, follow Jesus. I'm here, I was dead, now I'm alive, follow Jesus. He didn't say, I'm here, I was dead, are you giving today? I'm here, I was dead, are you serving today? I'm here, I was dead, can I talk to you about cows? I'm here, I was dead, can I talk to you about my favorite sports star? I'm here, I was dead, can I talk to you about the video game I like to play? He didn't do any of that. He said, I'm here, I was dead, now I'm alive, follow Jesus. That was Lazarus' life. That's what it had become. And people were coming, who knows how far, to hear about Jesus, wanting also to see Lazarus. And I'm telling you that there are people in the world who want to be saved, and they want to come to Jesus, and they want to do it and see what Jesus has done in you. And if all they see when they come to you are your collection of parachutes, your things that you're holding back from Jesus, then don't be surprised when they walk away unsaved. Oh, but wait a minute, because something goes terribly wrong right then. Something goes terribly, terribly wrong right then. Because if that man sitting in that cockpit, or sitting in that, uh, what do you call it, rest area, if you will, of the plane, the, the cabin of the plane, the co-pilot says, no, there, there's only two parachutes in the entire plane. And now the guy's like, the dad of the family's like, we rented the plane. 
We paid for the plane. This our plane. Because no, it's a pilot's plane, a co-pilot's plane. It's not your plane. I don't care if you rented us for the day or not. Still our plane. Cost twenty. You didn't pay twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars for this plane. Still our plane. Okay, no, but but we rented the plane. If anybody's getting a parachute, it's us. We got the money. We pay the bills. We put the fuel in the tank. We get a parachute. Take the parachute off. No, I'm not taking the parachute off. The pi I don't know why you get all upset. I don't understand why you're all getting worked up here. Why are you crying? Why, why is she crying? I don't understand why she's crying. I'm just I'm wearing the parachute just just in case. It's just in case. It's not for real. We're not crashing. There's no problem. The pilot's still at the. You look in there. The pilot's wearing the other parachute. What? The pilot's wearing the other parachute. Jesus is gonna be fine. You understand? Well, you wear your parachute, you don't wear your parachute. That doesn't change whether G where Jesus winds up in the end. He's going to be fine. So the pilot's wearing the other parachute. Co-pilot's wearing the parachute. If I'm that man, we got us a problem here right now. You take those parachutes off, put one on me and one on my wife. Let's find some rope, strap the kids to us, and if the plane goes down, we're getting off. This is what happens. They look at you. They come wanting to see Jesus. They want to see what Jesus did in you, and they can't. And now we have a problem. Because they still want a parachute. If there is a hell, they still want to not go to hell. So at best, they accept Jesus and begin to live like you do wearing a parachute. If that's your situation. Problem is, if you're wearing a parachute because you'll bail out of the Jesus plane if it seems to go away that you don't want it to go, that parachute isn't worth anything. Because sometimes the Jesus plane does go places where you don't want to go. Do we not recall the stories of the new church standing in the Colosseum? Praying and not even fighting back as the lions ripped them to shreds? After Nero claimed that it was their fault, the Christians' fault, that part of Rome burned. And all of Rome begins to persecute Christians and churches. And churches have to meet underground. Do not understand that even today, in many countries, it is illegal to do what we are doing right now. Lazarus's story became a story in which Jesus had acted. Lazarus didn't put on a parachute. He gave his life completely over to the one who raised him from the dead. To keep your parachute on, to keep aspects of your life, to confuse the issue, if you will, is nothing but idolatry. If you have a lifeline in case this Jesus thing doesn't pan out, you are lost. If you have a lifeline in case the one man who was God in the flesh, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day, stayed to start the church and the church told you about Jesus and you supposedly got saved, and you have a lifeline in case that doesn't work out, you think, well, I could walk out of the church and never come back again. If New Heights Fellowship could cease to exist as a church and it wouldn't affect you, you are lost. You are not saved and you are going to hell. You are saved when you trust your whole life into the hands of Jesus with no parachute. This is more than a story in which Jesus had acted. Lazarus' very real life had become an allegory for the very real truth that you must completely trust Jesus with all that you are or perish without him. We're in our conclusion now as we talk about that. An allegory is a story that has a hidden meaning. But the beauty of allegories is the meaning is not meant to stay hidden. Anyone looking 
can find it. Galatians chapter 3, if you want to flip there in your Bibles, we have two references left, and then we'll be done for the day. Galatians chapter 3, it comes after the Corinthians, they just didn't get as big a letter, and that's how they wound up further back. Galatians 3, I'm going to read 26 to 28, and this is what it says. Follow along with me if you brought your Bible. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and were baptized indicating that you've put your old life behind you, now living for Jesus, then every time someone comes to you at your most inconvenient moment, when you don't think anyone is looking, when you're having your worst day, your car just broke down, your health's falling apart, you're in pain, your sorrow, your relationship sucks, your money's not there, at your worst moment, every time someone comes to you, when they come to you, they should see Jesus. Now, I understand that's a high standard. You don't have to be perfect. It's not like that. They should see Jesus even when you're screwing up. That looks like, oh, that probably wasn't the best witness. I apologize. I understand. I'm, I'm just a human following Jesus. Please understand that I'm totally transformed from who I used to be. And I realize that what I just did probably wasn't the way to show you that. But listen to me. Life is in Jesus. Hell is is where we wind up without him. Heaven is where we wind up with him when he is in us. So your witness is that you are a human. Your witness is that you are trying every moment of every day to be the man or woman that Jesus would have you to be because you're following him to the best of your ability. That is your witness. Not that you're perfect, not that you get everything right, but that you have said, I have no parachute. Romans 6 5 to 11 then, and these are our last verses to the day, say this. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And who died, by the way? He died for us, and that he died for us, all have died. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. When I think of Lazarus, I think of a man who never should have had a death warrant issued for him. He didn't do anything. Jesus did everything. When I think of me, I think of a man who didn't do anything. Jesus did everything. How about you? 